Hi, welcome to the Moving Overseas podcast. I'm delighted you are here and listening. And if this is your first time to the podcast, double welcome to you. My name's Louise Rook. Together with my family, I've made three international moves in the last 12 years. Moving overseas is wonderful, but sometimes you need help because it's not an easy task. Welcome along to the podcast. We're right in the middle of the US series. I'm chatting to folks from all over who have made the move to the US and they're sharing their stories and their challenges and also some top pieces of advice for those families looking to make a move here for the first time. Today, I'm chatting with dad and academic Robbie Mazza. He's made a move to the US twice. We're going to be hearing his perspective on life as a family in the US. You're listening to the Moving Overseas podcast with your host, Louise Rook. Robbie, you've made quite a few international moves, to put it kind of mildly. So tell us where those moves have taken you to and what prompted them. So the first international move was uh, from Italy, which is my country of origin, and I moved to London. Uh, It was very much due to the fact that I was uh, trying to get some further education. And so I moved to London uh, and I took a, a master's degree at the School of Oriental and African Studies, uh, known also as SOAS. Uh, in um, politics and governments of the Middle East. And uh, that was the beginning of something that I never uh, expected, so to become an academic. And that was the first international move. And then after London, where to then? And then in 2009, so after nearly a decade, I was uh, offered a job in the US uh, at Western Illinois University, which is a mid-size uh, uh, State University in Illinois, mm-hmm. uh, located in a town called Macomb, which is uh, at the western edge of Illinois, basically bordering with Iowa and Missouri. Uh, that was quite a move. I mean, moving from London to a small town uh, in the Midwest, uh, sort of, a, a, you know, the logistics uh, connected to it, but it was also a mental, uh, you know, sort of Chief. move. Yeah. Uh, everything was different. Not to mention the fact that it was the first time I was really thousands of miles away from my family, my friends, probably in the region of 10 hours flight, you know, just to mm. catch a lo- local flight from Peoria uh, down to Chicago and then from Chicago, often via London, uh, back to uh, to Italy. So, wow. yeah, it was a very long trip every time I made it back to Europe. When I moved the first time around to America, uh, I was with uh, my partner back then. Unfortunately, America didn't really work very well for us as a couple. And I think this is something that people always have to consider. When you move and you make these kind of moves, there's always a price to pay. And we didn't anticipate that would have an impact on our relationship, but eventually it did. Eventually, I restarted my my personal life and I met uh, the person that is currently my wife. And in 2015, uh, uh, she was pregnant and we decided to leave the U.S. and move back to Israel my wife is from Beersheba, uh, a city in the southern part of Israel. And, but everything was temporary. My wife was uh, finishing her PhD. So we were like trying to figure out what to do next. And I remember it was a bizarre story. I applied for a number of jobs and I completely forgot that I applied uh, for a job in Ireland. <laughs> when I got an email saying, we would like to invite you for an interview. And I was wow. like, oh, wait a second. Did I really apply for the job? So I went back to my records and I got ready flew from Tel Aviv to Dublin, drove from Dublin to Limerick, 
and uh, on the way back from Limerick, I got a phone call from the dean telling me we would like to offer you the job. So I went back a couple of weeks later with my wife and my and my son. So we had the time to see the place, yeah. see whether it would fit. And and eventually I started my job there in January 2016. And how long did you stay in Ireland for? We left uh, in 2019. So a couple of years ago, my wife got a, an offer from Northwestern University in Chicago. And so we made the decisions that it, you know, it was a chance we couldn't skip. And uh, we moved to the U.S. Uh, that was like September 2019. Okay, so so you've actually moved to the US twice from two different places. So tell us about those moves in terms of the process. So, I mean, you might want to talk about the second time you did it because you probably remember that one better. But how easy was the process of moving over there? I must say that the first time around was fairly easy because basically it was me and my yes. partner. Mm-hmm. We didn't have children, obviously. Yeah. Um, so it was fairly easy. And particularly in London, we didn't really own anything other than a few suitcases and, you know, yeah. things and minor things, lots of books. The second time around was a little bit more complicated because in the meantime, uh, we had another child. So right. now here we are with two kids. Yeah, now and you're a family of four moving and that makes it very different. Absolutely, particularly because my daughter was born in March 2019. So she was just a few months old by the time we left. So the first thing was to come over, uh, see places. So I remember it was in May 2019, we came over my daughter was just two months old and uh, we were lucky to find a place and uh, you know we signed the rental agreements from august and eventually in august we moved and what about the visa process then what what was that like for you guys because obviously you're italian your wife is israeli you were living in ireland how did that all work out it was fairly straightforward because we were allowed to uh, apply for a j1 visa which Mm -hmm. doesn't require a lot of uh, bureaucracy Uh, on the other hand there are obviously uh restrictions with uh, you know j1 visa for instance we are not allowed to be out of the country for more than 30 consecutive days so in any case if we want to take a vacation uh, uh-huh. for, let's say, six weeks, we cannot do that. Did you then have to apply for a work authorization card as well, an employment authorization card to be able to work yourself? Okay, here's the story. So the first <laughs> time around when I moved to the US, I I moved here with a H-1B visa uh-huh. uh, because I was offered a job. And in two years, I was given a green card. Now, the problem is that when I left the US, uh, I kept the green card for about a year. And then, um, and again, I don't want to go into the politics, but because of a change of administration, I made a trip back to the U.S. for work. And eventually I was stopped and I was asked to, um, you know, declare where I was living. And eventually I was pushed to um, return, uh, as they said, to surrender the green card, which I did at the uh, U.S. consulate in Dublin. And are you allowed to reapply for a green card after you've surrendered one? Uh, yes, I, I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, because of the current conditions, we are on a J1, I'm not allowed to. But there are a lot of loopholes. And I talked to a few uh, immigration lawyers. First mm-hmm. of all, I was told that I should have surrendered my green card, that I should have you know, said that it was my right to keep it. But as I said, there is an element of pressure. You live abroad. You don't really know whether you're going back or not. Yes. So Batman, I didn't. Uh, and I think that it was a silly move. I mean, I should have just said, ignore that, 
and I should have kept my green card, making sure to come every six months because that's obviously a requirement, mm -hmm. but I should have kept my green card. The only thing is that when I moved then in 2019, obviously my social security number was still valid. And okay. eventually I had a working permit on the spot. I just sent in an application. I paid, uh, I think in the region of $150 or so. And in a couple of weeks, I got uh, a card back. So that was very simple then. Absolutely. I'm interrupting the interview very, very quickly to tell you about something that is going to save you money. And I know when you hear people say that, you think, oh, here we go again. But truly, this really will save you money because the one thing about moving overseas is that you will at some point have to transfer money internationally. Nine times out of 10, you still have some outgoings in your home country that you need to keep going. For example, we had life insurance policies that we continue to pay into, so we transferred money back regularly. You might even want to sell your property in your home country and then want to transfer the funds from that over to your new country. Now, I speak from experience when I say do not use a bank or credit card for international transfers. You can save a whole lot of money by using XE, and here is why because the moving overseas podcast has partnered with xe and i've negotiated an exclusive rate just for my listeners now you're not going to get a better transfer rate anywhere else and trust me with xe it is super simple from registration to transfer we've used xe for years which is why i've partnered with them because i trust them they're used by millions around the world and they also have an app which makes the whole thing even faster so to get these super low rates that are exclusive for you guys, my podcast listeners, you need to go through the Families Moving Overseas website and click on the XE link in the top right hand corner and that will guarantee you get those special rates. So go to familiesmovingoverseas.com, hit the XE link and save money when you are transferring. That is all. So Thinking along the lines of like the challenges that kind of stood out to you, what were they from the move from Ireland to, to the US? In terms of bureaucracy, not many because I was lucky. Because I was a resident before, I still had a bank account, I had a credit card, I had a bit okay. of a credit history, which of course was not great because I'd been absent from the country for a number of years, but it was good enough to essentially, you know, restart. Yeah, uh, that's amazing, actually, because I think yes. that's one of the hardest things that and definitely it, it kind of affected us when we arrived is that you have no credit score and then it becomes really tricky trying to lease or buy a car or, you know, apply for a credit card, open a bank account, all of those types of things. So you obviously had a little advantage there <laughs> that you'd you'd been there before and you had this credit score, albeit not a great credit score because you've been away. But even so, that is a help, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, the first time around in 2009, everything was very complicated. I mean, opening a bank account, yeah. uh, uh, getting a credit card. I remember when we first got here and we were trying to sort cars out because we were both working, we both needed cars. And we, ha we had like a, a large envelope of all of the stuff that they needed and they wanted pay stubs and they wanted a letter from uh, our employers, you know, confirming not just that they were employing us, but, you know, our salaries. And, oh, we had to have everything before we could do that. And it was hours of, of trying to negotiate. But eventually we did it. And also there are certain car companies that offer deals for 
people like you and I who are coming in on visas. I, off the top of my head, I believe it's Volkswagen and Hyundai. So let's talk about expense then. How do you find the cost of living in the States? If you compare it, I suppose, to the UK and Ireland, what, what's the differences? Do you find it cheaper living here? Obviously, if you live in London, you know, everything is mm. super expensive. But I must say that there's a lot of stereotypes connected to it. Certainly, the cost of living in terms of uh, renting a property is really expensive. But, you know, when you start thinking about grocery or other services, they're actually fairly reasonable. What really matters is the cost of uh, the rentals. I mean, that is really expensive. Um, uh, and you're saying it's more it's expensive in London, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, because, I mean, we noticed that, you know, you can get a much bigger place here for much less than you would in the UK. And I guess that's to do with space for a start because all the houses are bigger over here. But, you know, to buy or to rent, you definitely get more more bang for your buck over here, for sure. Absolutely. When you move to a small town in the Midwest uh, from a, you know, a city like London, mm. uh, you know, you don't have the same amount of restaurants, the same amount of services, the same quality. Uh, but in the end, of course, life is cheaper. And, you know, that was... a. Uh, uh, certainly a good period in life to save a lot of money, indeed. I want to move on to talk about the thing that everybody talks about, um, especially, I think, Brits. This has come up quite a lot because of the NHS in the UK and we're, we're used to having free healthcare. What's your experience been of the healthcare system here in the States? And when I say um, healthcare system, I mean everything, like what that system is like, but also insurance and stuff like that. How's that been for you? So I grew up in Italy where we have universal healthcare, mm -hmm. like in very similar to the NHS. It's organized differently. So, you know, lots of things are more efficient, others are not so efficient. So, and again, London might be uh, not the greatest example to talk about the NHS because it's a big city, lots of mm -hmm. things are working, uh, other things are not working. But it's available, right? So yes. you, it's it's part of your daily experience. If you need a doctor, you just go to see the doctor. You don't have to pay for anything. And uh, your healthcare bill is in your taxes. And it works perfectly. So I remember the first thing that happened when I moved to uh, the US in 2009. I needed a big surgery. I had a major issue with uh, uh, my spine. Uh, I had a disc uh, that you know just uh, moved out of its place. And eventually, I took advantage of the fact that the healthcare quality provided was, uh, and still is, really good. I was shocked by the amount of money. Now, I was working for the university. I had a very good health insurance. So I basically paid a copay maybe of uh, $250 back then. So it was very acceptable in that sense. I had a lot of questions about it. I mean, in the end, it was like I was a privileged individual who could, who could afford a very good health insurance, but, uh, you know, very different from, from the UK. You know? So let's talk about the standout benefits of living in the US for your family. What, what are those for you? Plenty of benefits. I mean, in terms of like quality of life. And when yeah. I talk about quality of life, I really talk about, you know, various aspects from obviously healthcare, um, you know, safety, uh, education, possibilities really. And, you know, there are all of these kind of benefits that sometimes you don't think too much about. But when you move to a new country and you start making comparisons, because that's normal, then you realize, oh, wow, I mean, we can do this. We have access to this. Um, you know, there's a lot of culture. Yes, of course, we had, uh, and we still are into, you know, COVID. 
So lots of things were closed or with limited access. Still, I can say that there's a lot of benefits in that sense. You know, taking the kids to um, either visit a park or getting to, you know, just into museums. So th th there are these kind of benefits, not, not just the very practical one of like, oh, healthcare, which obviously is very important. Uh, education, uh, yeah. the fact that you, you can really choose, particularly in terms of uh, uh, childcare. Uh, my wife is Jewish. We chose to send our children for, you know, childcare to Jewish schools, something that, you know, would have been different in Ireland, definitely also in the UK. Um, but here we have plenty around. Uh, you know, we just uh, start asking people around about the quality, the programs offered, and we said, okay, these are the schools we want. What I really like is the choice that you have. Yeah, I agree. So moving on from that then, what are some of the things that you absolutely love about living in the US? Practicality over, let me use this word, over beauty. Now, let me explain this to your listener. I grew up in Italy. Everything in Italy is beautiful, right? You know, yes. people always talk about Italy. Oh, such a beautiful place and buildings and nature. Which is true. But on the other hand, what people don't really realize is that we have become slaves of that in a sense that nothing is practical. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not talking about bureaucracy. Actually, bureaucracy is another thing which is a bit of a stereotype. Bureaucracy works fairly well in Italy when, it, when it's about the individual, not, not about the business. For instance, I own a couple of properties in Italy. They're beautiful. But the moment you need to do something, uh, it requires some permits. Um, it's not easy because we like, uh, you know, brick houses. We don't like to show, let me give you an example, very straightforward. So I wanted to put uh, air condition in my, in my place in Italy. Oh, but then you need an engine. How do you put the engine? Well, it doesn't have to show because otherwise it's ugly and the neighbors <laughs> may complain. Yes. Right? These are really silly things, but it gives you the sense of what practical life is in Italy. Well, obviously when you're in America, you, you just do your own things and, you know, the age of, of Europe and Italy and, and London and, you know, these buildings are old and they're historical and, and that's why, you know, when you want to renovate your house, for example, you have to get planning permission, etc. And I think that that's the difference there because the US is much younger and they don't have the same history. And so I know what you're talking about. There's a bit more red tape with things like that. So it's an easier life, I think, perhaps living in the US. It is. In many ways, again, the practicalities, when you yeah. need something, you can get it in terms of services. Uh, when I moved to Ireland, one of the challenges was to have uh, internet at all. We live really? in a very nice town on the Shannon River, just a few miles out of Limerick, beautiful scenery, but with, uh, you know, extreme problems with, uh, you know, connectivity, which is a major issue in Ireland, actually. It was not just the fact that we didn't have good internet connection, but also the company. I mean, you know, there's not much attention to, to customers. You know, that's what it is. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so deal with it. They're not, they're not really exactly. um, very helpful. I mean, I, I don't mind that, to be honest, but I was very surprised by the approach. I was like, <laughs> yeah, but we need internet, right? And But again, that's something that's very good in the US is customer service. My wife loves customer service in the US, uh, like in Israel, there's no attention. That's it. Yeah. If you pay a bill and you have questions about the bill, people say, yeah, that's what you paid. It's a different kind of culture in that yes. sense. Uh, you have to accept what it is. Kind of nice sometimes like, oh, wait a second, but we can actually get a better service. So people actually answer to you within a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> and they are but, happy to explain and make sure that they're giving you the best service. That, that's exactly. the thing. I, mean, and I, I know that maybe... 
there is a bit of a hypocrisy behind it. Not every smile is real, but I like the approach anyway. You know, there's another individual in front of you and, you know, that other individual has needs, like you are from the other side. So it's, I think that's one of the really the, the most important uh, positive aspects of living in the US. I'm just interrupting my own podcast to tell you that the Moving Overseas podcast is friends with Amlux, the future of luxury lifestyle and travel. They're here to make your life simpler. They'll give you back your time and freedom, whether that be business or leisure. Go to amlux.co.uk for more information. So then tell us some of the things that you dislike about living in the US. And you can be honest, open, you know, be as candid as you like. Thank you for telling me this. Uh, <laughs> Now, I mentioned about health, health care, you know, health insurance. As I said, you know, growing up in Europe, uh, um, you get the sense that, you know, health care is a right. So for me, the first time around when I moved, and this was before the uh, Affordable Care Act passed, the fact that I had neighbors that didn't have health insurance for, for me was extremely disturbing. I mean, I was, you know, talking to people in their 60s and they're like, oh, I'm not, you know, I don't have health insurance, so I need to be very careful here. And they're like, what does that mean? So I had a moral issue with that. Yeah. Uh, and still I have issues. But, and that's one thing that I dislike. Uh, yeah. Certainly there are questions related to, you know, gun ownership. Uh, again, mm -hmm. when I lived in Macomb, lots of my neighbors had guns. And for me, it was a bit scary in the beginning. I got used to eventually but I still never really understood the need for that. And then there are the small things, right? Um, and again, I want to be very open. I do have an accent. And despite I lived in the US twice, uh, certainly the first time around, I had a lot of questions. Were you from? Were you here? I don't want to say it's racism because it's probably not, but certainly the fact that you do have an accent raises questions. Some yes. people are very genuine, just very curious but other people want to know. So the second time around, the fact that we moved to the North Shore of Chicago, I must say it's very different. Uh, there is a fairly large international community connected to Northwestern University. So I guess people are not necessarily, um, let's put it in the positive way, the people are aware of the fact that the, you know, there are people coming from different places. Well, it's a so, very diverse city, I think. Community, indeed. Yeah. So we, we don't get these kind of questions here, right? It's In general, when I go to a park, it's interesting because you, you get to uh, hear lots of languages from Polish to German, Dutch, French. Yeah. Uh, so it feels like, uh, you know, very diverse. And I want you to talk about your kids. I'm curious to know what it's been like so far raising your kids here. So my uh, eldest is five. He was born in Israel. He obviously spent a couple of years in Ireland going to an amazing school. And my daughter was born in Ireland and she moved here that she was only a few months older. Now she's two. They're having a great time. I mean, I can see with my son is uh, going to a very nice school. Um, which he likes it, but I think he likes more the activities after school. So we have some of the kids living in the neighborhood. So the ability to go out, play with other kids along the along the streets. And, uh, and I must say that it's funny because he's trilingual, but obviously English is dominant. And we always joke that he's, uh, he's already an American kid, you know, just yeah. with an accent. Uh, um, you know, the things that he says, the things that he wants. Yeah, And my daughter, I mean, is too young, but uh, she's in the process. I mean, and we can see how she's being shaped by whatever is around. And also the sense of freedom just to walk out 
you know, just in the in, in the grass, but also we have a, a, a playground just literally five minutes walk and she feels very comfortable. So, I mean, in that sense, it's a great feeling uh, to see the kids growing here. Now my eldest is going to a kindergarten in, in September and he's already super excited because the school is uh, the same block. Uh, there are a bunch of other kids from the same block going to the, to the school and they're already like talking about walking together. I mean, it's... I, I like the neighborhood feel. I mean, we're in the suburbs in Chicago and... There is a real neighbourhood feel here and, and my kids have spent the last five years, you know, going outside after school and playing with the neighbourhood kids, which is great. I love the freedom that they have. Do you think that there's more opportunity for kids growing up in the US than in Europe? I mean, I, the reason I ask that is because I do for certain aspects of it. I feel like um, for sports wise, I think there are many, many more opportunities for the kids here than there are, I mean, I, I can only compare it to the UK, so I don't know about the rest of Europe, but certainly for sports-wise, there's definitely more opportunity. But what what do you think about that? I must say that I would agree with that in a sense that as much as I love my country, Italy, and the countries that I lived in, but I, I came to, uh, you know, compare the systems. I work in education. I, I work in Oxford University, but... Uh, I, I always like paid attention to uh, sort of uh, you know primary and secondary education, and I must say that I mean the American system is more open and in a sense allows kids to develop their skills. It's not just about sports, but I see through cultural activities, through arts. Uh, you know, my, my son loves painting, and he has an opportunity. Where in Italy, this is left with the parents, and you know sometimes it's an expensive activity, and so kids don't really get this chance to uh, maybe paint or playing music. So I, I, I see there are shortcomings with the American system. There are indeed. I mean, every system has shortcomings. Yeah. But when it comes to give kids opportunities, this is certainly top notch. I mean, there is no alternative to this system. I, I think it's really open uh, and, and I really like it. And, and I really feel comfortable to see my, my son at the moment, you know, starting this core because I know that he's going to get opportunities. And if he's not succeeding in soccer, that's not a problem. There will be another activity. Do you miss Italy? Do you think <laughs> that you will ever go back? No. I love my country. I love Italy. But, um, I mean, unless it will be amazing job opportunities for both myself and my wife, but I don't see myself going back and live there. I mean, it's my own country, but I always tell my wife that I want to be buried there. I'm really yeah. rooted in my hometown. Yeah, you're Italian and you have that that pride and, you know, I feel the same. I never want to go back and live in the UK, actually, but I'm proud to be British and I probably feel the same as you, that I would want <laughs> to be buried there. So I understand that. I want my children to see the country, to experience it. I, of course, I want them to uh, learn Italian, but at the moment, I really don't see a future there for us. So what about the US long term then? You said we were talking off mic before we started this interview and you were saying that, you know, potentially you might move again. Would that be within the US or could it be outside of the US? So at the moment, we have two options. One is to work to find the permanent jobs here in the US. Obviously, COVID hit and made things a little bit more complicated. We still have another year uh, here. I mean, my wife has another year contract with Northwestern, so we still have 
a good amount of time to see mm -hmm. how things will change. Plan B is to uh, perhaps move to Israel. And the reason is my wife has better opportunities to get jobs there in academia. Mm -hmm. I will be able to keep doing my job, possibly. I don't know yet. And also there is a, the, the, you know, the family component, the fact that we might have family support, you know, with yeah. kids growing. There are pros and cons. I mean, you know, when we think about the educational system in Israel, we're not really super excited about it. Uh, but we have to take into account, you know, jobs, possibilities. Let's say we made it a priority to, uh, you know, become permanent residents. So for me, it would be uh, going back to uh, perhaps again, apply for a green card. And, you know, why not uh, become full permanent residents and one day citizens? But we don't know at the moment. We don't know. So the next question I want to ask you, and this is really the important one for people listening who are, you know, considering or they've accepted a job and they're moving to the US with their family for the first time. What would your two top pieces of advice be for those families who are who are looking to move to the US for the first time? The first is do your research. Spend time doing research, particularly connected to the place you're moving to. Every place is different. You know, big city, small city, small town, every state is different. I, I think that's crucial. You need to know where you're going. America is a big country. If you say you're going to New York, it's not the same as going to Chicago or going to uh, Santa Barbara in California. Absolutely. I mean, every place is different. I think this is crucial to get a sense of where you're going. Yeah, I mean, there are certain issues like related to bureaucracy that are all the same, but every place is different. And uh, the second piece of advice, expect the unexpected. Everything looks great and then something happens. Like uh, they want a piece of document and you don't even know where to find it. So sometimes you get frustrated because you think that everything is smooth, you, you've done your job, uh, you know, someone is, someone's going to take care of that, but it's not. I, I think always leave room for something that might turn wrong or you never expected. And that could be said, actually, of any international move. I mean, Absolutely. that happens. I can remember us arriving in Dubai and them asking us for something. And we were like, what? How are we going to even get that? Um, so, yes, I think it's very good to expect the unexpected. Um, Robbie, I want to finish off because I want you to talk about your podcast because you have a podcast too. I'm interested. I want you to tell us and the listeners all about it um, and also give out the details, the title, so we can all find it. So my podcast is called Jerusalem Unplugged. The reason why I started a podcast about Jerusalem is because I'm a lecturer in the history of the modern Middle East, and my specialty uh, is the history of uh, late Ottoman Palestine. I do work on uh, Jerusalem around the beginning of the 20th century. You know, Jerusalem is a city uh, that attracts a lot of attention because of its religious uh, connections, but also because of the politics within the Arab-Israeli conflict. My idea was to uh, you know, start a podcast, which I call Unplugged, because I really wanted to unplug from the conflict and to tap into uh, the city itself with its people, uh, people connected to the city. So I started interviewing uh, scholars, because obviously that's the people I know. But then mm -hmm. I started interviewing also uh, chefs, you know, clergy, individuals that do live in the city or do work around the city, but not necessarily connected to the, to the conflict. And so the point was to, you know, talk about the city from a different perspective. It turned out to be rather successful in a sense that I didn't expect it. My idea was to create a podcast that would have been a niche connected to my job at the University of Limerick. So for the most part, academic, 
but then I got a lot of attention. So I expanded the uh, uh, sort of the range of interviewees. So everything is in the making and it's very exciting. So it's called Jerusalem <laughs> Unplugged. Correct. And it's obviously on all of the normal places where you get your podcasts, yeah, Spotify, Spotify, Google yep. Podcasts. Uh, and also, where can people follow you? Do you have some social media handles you want to give out? Yes. So if you want to follow me directly, my uh, social medias are very simple. They're all of the same name. It's at Robbie Ref. All of the other social media connected to the podcast are at Jerusalem Unplugged. All right, Robbie, it has been a pleasure to hear your story today. And I wish you all luck. I hope that either whatever works out, either green cards and permanent residency here, or whether you decide to go back to Israel, I hope it works out. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Louise. It was a great uh, experience talking to you. And uh, I'm, uh, I start following your podcast too because I really like to hear about the experience of moving. That was Robbie Masso sharing his story and lots of helpful tips for a move to the US. On the next episode, I'm going to be chatting with moving organiser Anna Vjord, and she will be sharing all of her top tips for an international move, including what your very first steps should be and how long you need to plan. Join me for that one. Don't forget to head to the website, familiesmovingoverseas.com. Join the moving forward slash living overseas Facebook and like and subscribe to the podcast please. Until next time. You've been listening to the Moving Overseas podcast with Louise Rook. You can find more information at familiesmovingoverseas.com. <laughs>